It's all good. All right. Well, listen, thank you for joining me, friends. Uh, we're back with uh, another interview here. Uh, so my guest today, his name is Dan John, and he's an icon and a legend. You are. So it's just the way it is, man. You're going to have to deal with it. And I have to tell you, I've been following you uh, at the advice of many years ago. Perry and I go back, I don't know, seven, eight years. He told me about you the first day. He said, you got to follow Dan, John. He's got the brain candy, the mojo, and the knowledge bomb. So I have been following you. And now we finally get to connect. Um, yeah, if you don't mind me, well, first of all, welcome. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, well, it's, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, I just want to say... I recently read your, your book, uh, 40 Years with a Whistle. I love it, man. Oh, Great you. book. Good job reading it, too, because I did. I got the audio. I learned better audio. Yeah, well, and I tell you, people will ask me, you know, why I don't. Uh, the audio for me is the most difficult. I, as a child, I had a bit of a speech impediment with uh, okay. an enormously large tongue and just a, just a few small issues that little kids have. So I've always been a little uncomfortable with uh, that and according to the people on the other side when i'm recording i am the funniest one they've ever had because i swear so much it's a rare sentence i can get through without dropping an f-bomb and a damn it and i just can't believe how stupid i am and then i catch my breath and i go through yeah so i you know i don't want to guess but there's a lot of f-bombs per page in the uh raw footage but I appreciate it. And some people tell me that, especially in 40 years, there are moments where uh, when I speak, I, when I read it, where it's obvious I'm emotional. Uh, it's, I'm, being, I'm being hit by the story. Oh, it but, is. Oh, I can hear that too, man. Yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of power in that too, because then there's no filter. You know, it, words can come through to our eyes into our brain and then we filter how we want. We won't hear what you were feeling when you were, yeah. we won't, so, but now, yeah. And plus there's, so, you, the way you, uh, some of the stuff you talk about is actually really funny too, and I love well, that. Yeah. You better have a few laughs when you're a coach and an athlete. Yeah. Because <laughs> funny stuff happens, man. Well, there's, there's a lot of laughs in it, and uh, great book. Uh, listen, uh, you know, for uh, people watching or listening, so the audio this goes on SoundCloud and uh, iTunes podcast. Um, uh, we don't even have a plan today, but I know that because uh, I was a jazz musician and and you can improvise too. We're going to improvise, and the first area I was thinking of starting is um, what do you see happening? What do we, let me rephrase this? Do you? see any trends that have been happening or are currently happening whether it's well i'll just leave it generic in the movement industry in the fitness industry in the uh physical therapy whatever industry that with you that bug you or excite you and yeah. oh yeah go for it man well the biggest issue we've always had and you can't help it in this particular industry is that it's a pendulum and but the thing is, we don't spend much time in the middle where it's moderate. We go from extreme to extreme to extreme. Uh, I'm a, I thought the original paleo eating movement was very, really brought up some great ideas. Mm -hmm. For example, my wife and I, we used to call it uh, uh, meat, leaves, and berries. Uh, so, and it was great for us. We both made uh, our blood profiles improved. 
But then, you know, you go online and you read that I'm a bad person. Literally, someone said, I don't get it because I drink coffee and alcohol. And you can't be paleo if you drink coffee. And I'm like, so what? I mean, here you are, you know, the old joke, uh, well, the old insight, the revolution eats its young. Well, I'm one of the first people to really push paleo. And within a few years, I'm getting ostracized by the paleo community because I like, I like whiskey, which God invented, and, and good coffee uh, from the root gahwa, uh, gives, God gives strength. And yeah. that's, you know, and then now it's vegans and carnivores and, and in the movement field, I mean, we were to a point in the late aughts, you know, six, seven, 2006, 2007 or so, where you couldn't, you couldn't get someone to do a squat without a full assessment. Well, you know, I noticed that we're getting a vulgus collapse as the person goes, the per this is the first time they've done it. Give, give them two reps before you try to make it perfect. And then we, and then we swing away that that wasn't macho enough. And then all those macho people got hurt. Now, now they're corrective specialists. And then it's just that whoosh, 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 back and forth. Um, but as we can see, one quick thing, uh, I know we're in an economic crisis right now and I know that, but so for me, I've been, I've been around long enough to see, we saw the same thing happen in the fitness industry in 2007 that we saw in 2019 with this big downturn. Mm -hmm. And Carl, I've been telling people for a while now that the fitness industry is the canary in the coal mine. Uh, when we start to struggle, when book sales go down, workshops start to disappear, generally it's a sign that the economy is shuddering. I, I think that the coronavirus is, ter it is terrible, it's awful. And there's people are dying and God bless y'all. Uh -huh. But um, it's the catalyst for the economic downturn. Yeah. The economic downturn was caused by other things. And one of the things in the fitness industry, we started to hurt ourselves. Um, you know, I, 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 I had my daughter one time. She, uh, she was just messing around. I can't remember with my Facebook or my Instagram account. And she looked up to me, Lindsay says, she goes, so dad, do you have to show your boobs to become your friend online? I'm like, I'm, so, I'm sorry. And she's then I, I started looking and the amount of people with pictures in, and I'm fine. I mean, I get it. Bikinis and sports bras and all that stuff. We, in the last few years, again, the fitness industry has slid back to the idea that you need to be a, uh, um, a bikini model on the female side to know anything about nutrition or strength. And on the men's side, Boy, if you don't have six-pack abs and cut like the loser in a Tijuana knife fight, you can't tell me how to improve my deadlift. Well, the truth is, you know, I'm 63 years old. I can guarantee I can deadlift more than anybody at that gym over there with all their experts. And uh, yeah. I might not look as good in a bikini, but I know stuff. And that's where we got ourselves again about a year or so ago. And those are those patterns. So what I guess what I'm saying, Carl, is I, I hate these carbs are the answer to everything carbs are evil coffee is great coffee will kill you red wine is great red wine will kill you squats are bad for you deadlifts are bad for you dip it you got to do for every lift you do you got to do 25 minutes of corrective exercise and then the next day corrective exercises have no value just do the lifts so that would be it for me
Yeah, yeah. I see what you mean about the, pen, the pendulum, though. We're, we're, we're each, either end, but we're not in the middle very much because there is a swing back and forth yeah. on various things. And I told a buddy of mine, his name's Thorne Miller. I told him back, I think it was, it had to have been 1990 or 91 because I was working at the Upper Limit Gym. And I said to him, trust me, fat, increasing fat in your diet is going to be the next big thing. And the words are coming out of my mouth, like a balloon, you know, that great, great line Harry met Sally. Like a balloon, the words are just outside yeah, my right. mouth. And that's when uh, Deep Pasquale and a couple other people came up with those, uh, those higher fat diets. And fat, uh, okay. and Maffetone, Phil Maffetone with fat uh, being far more important. And he said to me about, it must have been a couple months later, he goes, how did you know that was gonna happen? It's like, I go, well, in this industry, uh, people make all their money with low carb, and then the next year they write a book on high carb, and then the next year it's on high protein, and the next year it's on low protein, because you have to have a book every year, otherwise yeah. you're not going to make any money. And it, it, it's interesting to look back on it. Um, so basically, as a coach, I'm what you call a contrarian. I like, I know physically, I could not have beaten most of my opponents straight up even though I'm a fast twitch guy, I'm only six foot and in discus throwing, I'm about four to six inches too short. Okay. Uh -huh. Okay. So if I train like they did, I couldn't beat them. So I always had to find other things. A different. So if they were going all into powerlifting, I went into Olympic lifting. If they were doing this, I knew I had to do that. Uh -huh. And so my advice to my young interns and assistants and friends is to, whenever you're at a party, and people are talking about stocks, get rid of stocks instantly and go into cash. Right. If people are at a party all talking about flipping houses, either, <laughs> either downsize instantly because the market's about to crash. And uh, <laughs> I have found in the fitness industry that everybody tries to do that same thing. If, if you're all about corrective exercise, I'm the next speaker up. All I'm going to do is tell you how stupid corrective exercises are. And all you need to do is a basic power lift. And the guy after me says, power lifts are stupid. Just do the Olympic lifts. Next person up says, kettlebells are the answer. And then the next person says, body weight is the answer. And the correct answer is, well, all right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, we're all correct. So that would be it, Carl. There's, there's your, there's there your, is. I started lifting weights in 1965. Started coaching in 79. So. I have seen things come and go and come and go. And yeah. I've asked the same question sometimes like, listen, it didn't work the first time. Why do we think it's going to happen work this time? Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're pretty close in age. I'm 59 coming up here. I, I've seen – pardon me? A mere child. Yeah, right, right. And I've seen the trends come and go too over the decades. Uh, I wasn't into sports as a, a, a growing up or – fitness or anything i just i was into drumming and bicycling but bicycling was not because i wanted to be healthy i just like riding sure. but i uh, still i noticed things coming and going um yeah pretty interesting so right now uh where, where are we right now with this what are you seeing today are you we're seeing the bikinis out there right because they're still all over instagram and everything you've got to have that bikini body it seems well, I think right now with the lockdown and all the stay in place and the quarantines, um, a lot of people are trying to go online now, Carl. And yep. like I always tell people when they, if you're going to 
post on a forum. Now, I think a lot of people are just playing it out stupid. But the moment you post on a forum, you're letting the entire planet know you're an idiot. So what I'm looking at right now is I'm watching people try to be online video instructors. And uh, there's a great Hans Christian Andersen tale, uh, uh, The Emperor Has No Clothes. Yeah, right. And all of a sudden, you start to watch this person train uh, you know, to a group. And, all of a, and most people, within seconds, are like, the emperor has no clothes. Because uh, you really get exposed trying to train people online. Mm-hmm. Uh, very difficult. Um, I have a platform called Dan John University. But I've been, I've been online since 1998. That was my first blog. It was in 98, or whatever we called it back then. Uh, my have just called a website back then. And I learned a long time ago that trying to coach online is far more difficult than coaching in person. Uh, I would say exponentially more difficult mm-hmm. uh, because of the amount of, I work with a young girl, she's, uh, she's deaf, her name's Anne. She's a great personal trainer. And I've learned so much from her that's actually made me, I think, a better in-person coach, but it's also made a better online coach. Okay. Because when you're talking with Anne and you turn your shoulder like this, she can no longer follow what you said. Right. Reading your lips. Right. You can't, you can't talk to her while she's doing the movement because she can't pick up the cues, but she can pick up visual cues, physical cues. Yeah. And when you're coaching online, I am answering a question. Yes. Online is where we're at right now. Uh is that a lot of people get exposed because uh, they are at very, very rudimentary levels of coaching. They haven't really expanded their toolbox out Uh to engage someone who's sitting with a computer screen or worse, trying to follow a workout on a telephone screen that's, I was going to say postage stamp size, but most of your audience wouldn't know what a stamp is. And then I, was gonna, I was about to say business card size, but most people don't know what a business card is. But trying to follow along with yeah. written words, that are, it's very difficult. So that's what we're at. Get their phones out and the phone's way over here. And that's <laughs> yeah. not very big. You can't really see it very well. No. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, so I, I noticed, uh, I, well, I'll just make a comment here. This last year I stopped pretty much stopped traveling for a while. I was traveling all over, all over the world a lot, teaching for uh, my, my course that I teach, the Parkinson's. Uh, I do a lot of work with Parkinson's and that. But anyways. Carl, can I uh, say one thing? Can I just say, I mean, if you're going to work with me, I demand that you work with an underserved population. So you fit exactly in my world. Uh, Taylor works with cystic fibrosis. I see. I work with the deaf and MS. These are underserved populations who need, and God bless you, because they need our help. They need our care. These are people who, and we we ignore them. Everyone wants to work work the 20, the 19-year-old hawker. They don't really need you. No. So I want to follow up on that with the Parkinson's, but go ahead. I want you to finish that. What I'm trying to say is I commend you, okay? Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It was a total accident. I didn't plan on it, but about seven years ago, uh, I had my first person living with Parkinson's who came to me and said, will you train me? 
It just so happened, so I'll brag for a minute, my son, who is an MD, PhD, uh, just about ready to start up his third year residency in Emory in Atlanta, he, uh, his PhD has to do with Parkinson's, and he was into that at the time. So the only reason I said yes is, oh, I can call Nick. I said, dude, man, I got a situation. What do I do? Because I don't know much about it. I don't want to hurt him. I, I want to help them. So that just started the journey. And uh, the bottom line is this. This is going to fast forward to my current workouts, which I love. It doesn't involve anything in a gym um, because I'm not, I, I'm not um, traveling. I had a lot of health issues last year. I'm feeling great now. Everything is freaking awesome. I'm staying home. And uh, yard work, baby. Got a truckload of dirt the other day. I don't know how many tracked it. Well, if a riding mower with a trailer, truck work, four acres, so truck it over, uh, rake it, spread it, picking up rocks, carrying rocks across cinder blocks. And I'm going to tell you, I was really sore for a couple of days, and I did it again, and I'm really sore today. And I, But I vowed to do this because I wanted to get back to more stuff that will work me out. My wife is buffed. I mean, but she was doing all that stuff while I was gone. You know, I said, I want to be like you. And she's never been to a gym. She sure. doesn't need to. She's down in the low squat all the time with the garden stuff. Rode it till the, I rode it on Sunday and went deep, baby. It's going to be a beautiful big garden. But it's, uh, I noticed that you you have uh, in your email signature even, is something like carry heavy things, don't, so all these positive messages. And in your books and uh, other stuff, I see it carry stuff yeah right carry was, stuff. so it, it, i had been doing it a little bit and then i had a really fortunate terrible thing happen <laughs> i won the nationals in weightlifting the saturday or sunday before and the next weekend was our state weightlifting meet and i you know i'm one of the members of a team so i competed and i shouldn't have i well yes i should have but i shouldn't have gone so heavy and uh, i broke this wrist in eight pieces Oh, and wow. my doctor said I would never lift weights again. Now, that's this literally, you know, if you know me, you know I throw the discus and I lift weights and I read books. Those are the things I do. And I couldn't figure out what to do. And I have a good friend named Mike Rosenberg. And Mike and I, Mike set me up. He says, well, I'm going to send you out some stuff. So really... I first started off with just putting weights in a, a backpack and walking. And then I made up this silly little, it was a broken white, a wheelbarrow that I threw some concrete in there and I dragged that. And then I started carrying bags and yeah. then I started doing farmer walks. And then I started doing farmer walks with a heavy backpack dragging a sled. And then this track season comes around, I said, and I start to notice in, <clears throat> it took me a year or two, but in 2003 and 2004, I'm 47 years old, and I have the best years of my discus-throwing life. All right, great. I threw farther at 47 than I did the rest of my life uh -huh. because of the loaded carries. And I'm like, folks, I, and, and people say, well, how does it work? You, in track and field, you don't care how it works. If the discus goes farther, you're right. If the <laughs> shot goes farther, you're correct. Uh -huh. so, yeah, I'm a big fan of it's it's in my mission statement. Pick weights up off the ground, put weights overhead, carry weights for time or distance. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I, I love that. I love it. And I it was funny because I really haven't ever done that before. 
I'm kind of a little embarrassed to admit it, but I'm just going to, you know, it's full disclosure, baby. No, I never did it. I mean, I've done a little bit here and there, but the difference this then is I had to. I didn't want to. Now I want to because I need a different thing to, that works for me. So I can do two things at once. I've got to put in the dock. I live on a river. This dock is, uh, you know, I don't have a boat, just kayak, canoe, stuff like that. It's great. But dock comes in several pieces. It's homemade. It's heavy as anything. And I can't wait to carry that sucker and put it in and feel pain the next day that's a good kind of pain. Um, and I really, I really feel, uh, granted, we're only going back a couple of weeks here with this. Is it even remotely possible I can feel a little bit stronger now? Because, you know, every other day for I, two weeks, well, just, let me, I feel a little I, bit stronger. Let me, let me explain what I think happens, Carl. Um, the word I use is called snapacity, and it's in the book. Um, yeah, yeah. But when I work with elite athletes there's no, and, and military, there's only two things I really focus on. The hinge family, which is the deadlift, clean, snatch. Yeah, those are the three basic ones. The increase the hinge, and the other one is loaded carries. And the hinge movement gives you the snap. Mm -hmm. Work capacity, the loaded carries gives you work capacity. And you combine those words together. I came up with the phrase snapacity. Yeah, I like that. So what you'll find when you start doing loaded carries is you increase your work capacity mm -hmm. because you know, if I'm walking down the street, we have a hundred pound uh, bag here and I've never done it. I don't know if I could do it, but carrying, I have a big block about 400 meters. Okay. I've never done it, but a hundred pound carry like this for 400 meters. If the first time I do that, it would be, in fact, maybe that's something I should talk to Mike. Maybe that'll be my challenge for the week. Okay. Sure. The first time I do it, I'll be blindly exhausted. I'll be extremely hungry. I'll actually, I'll be a little bit incoherent. Like the synapses don't line up. It won't go A, B, C. Yeah. But yeah. a few days later, you'll do something like that again. And it'll be oddly, and I hate to say it easier, but it'll be oddly easier. Yeah. And you have to sit back and go, well, what happened here? And the correct answer is, I don't know, nor do I care. <laughs> because if you throw the discus farther or you it, think life is easier, obviously good things have happened. And um, we've had very little research on loaded carries, if any, um, because it's, it's, it's a hard thing to figure out. Of course, research in my field is, is always fraught with issues. You know, I want, I want people to focus, uh, what I'd like people to focus, my friend uh, Taylor, he did a study with cystic people with cystic fibrosis, and he discovered that strength training increases their cardiovascular health. Well, well if, if it's true for CF, then it's going to be true for Parkinson's. And if it's true for Parkinson's and CF, then it'll be true for everybody else too. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to interrupt because I think that's a really really good point one of the things i teach I, I want to keep you on after we hang up just for a couple of minutes i have a question about publishing a book because i'm <coughs> done with mine so anyways we'll, just, broken we'll, in talk we'll talk about oh, okay cool yeah um but the <coughs> course i teach that i developed is called parkinson's regeneration training we're, we're trying to regenerate a uh, uh 
better quality of life, let's say. We're not saying we can um, cure it. disease or reverse it, although if you talk to certain neurologists out there who are pretty progressive, it, it's possible if they do a million things and dietary and if the stars line up just right, it could reverse a little, but we're just talking slowing disease progression and managing disease symptoms, move better, fall down less, have a better quality of life. But I always say people with Parkinson's are people too. Absolutely. Okay? What I mean by that is yeah. this does not define them. They're, they aren't Parkinson's. They're a person who's living with it, just as I work a lot with developmentally delayed. They're people too. We have a ball, you know, anywhere from fragile exism syndrome to different uh, levels of uh, verbal and nonverbal autism autism, whatever. And so if something works for them, it, just like you said, so I'm just repeating what you said because it makes me excited, is they're humans. That's what we're trying to get at is they're humans. They have a brain, they have nervous systems, they have skeleton, they have muscles, they have all, we have the same stuff, man. So if it works for them, it works for us, it works for us, it probably work for them, we might have to modify, yeah, right? That's what we do with everybody. So yeah, thanks for saying that because it's really important. Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm just going to throw one other thing in there. Um, you're the second drummer I've worked with. There's a group called Fallback Boy. I don't know them. Uh, they had a, and if I said it wrong, I do apologize. But he came to my house one day, the drummer, uh, to learn kettlebells. Okay. And uh, it was interesting because there is there something about drummers with clarity with the human person uh i'm that might be something there's 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 a chapter in your book how drumming makes well, you understand the human person better <laughs> i don't know about that although there is research about drumming um and all the cross body patterns that happen right because we're yeah and, and there's a lot to cross body patterns and then when you look at uh some of the brain imaging from these studies uh, especially especially some of the drummers who are more technically and let's say they build multi-lever little polyrhythmic things going on so you've got you know you got a you know i got four here three here and it sinks right up i could do four on five two on three doesn't matter but and then you cross you do poly that the imaging of the brains is it just looks different like, i think um from what I read, it has to do with the uh, connection between the two hemispheres, and it has to do with the neural firing patterns that happen in between neurons, you know, the whole uh, neuroplasticity and all that stuff. So I, I can't answer about um, understanding humans, but that's a good question. And I, I hope the, the listeners uh, picked up on that. Uh, let me just add to what you said we've had many breakthroughs with discus throwers uh, by having them do entire sessions with their what we call goofy so if you're right-handed you throw the whole session left hand <laughs> at first it is the ugliest most dangerous thing you've ever seen in your life <laughs> sure and all of a sudden you can just see the brain kind of well, i mean not just the brain what you said the cross patterns you know yeah. all of a sudden and then afterwards it is weird because sometimes, I don't know if you know about this experiment that one guy has. He has a bicycle that if you turn it this, if you turn it right, goes left. Oh, uh, I, no, I don't know that, but. He'll give, he'll give, I think it's $100 if you can ride the bicycle the first time. And it's like 10 feet. 
because <laughs> you're so ingrained on how you ride a bicycle because it's a full body balance thing. Yeah. When you change one thing, and what's interesting is when people figure out how to ride that bike, it happens in an instant mm -hmm. where all of a sudden everybody just starts singing in the body together again. Yeah. And what's weird, I guess, is that when you go back to a normal bicycle, there's a moment of total confusion again. Sure. Like when you were three or four or five years old learning to ride a bike. Yeah. So, so the interesting thing, I, I, I have great appreciation for music. Uh, the bulk of the best athletes I've ever had in my life either had parents who were music teachers, musicians, or played an instrument. Because I think music, learning an instrument demands a level of discipline that reflects well in track and field, in other sports too, obviously. That's yeah, really interesting. Yeah. I, you know, I don't have the book with me. It's downstairs. It's called Your Brain on Music, written by Daniel Levitin, who is a neuroscientist and a really good bass player. Yeah. And I mean, he, he works, he's worked with people that I would love to have worked with. Um, um, so my, he, my, our daughter's pediatrician, Dr. Uh, Borgenet, uh, is a jazz bass guitarist ah. and, and he plays he plays in the valley all the time now he's retired oh wow yeah yeah it's really interesting um there's another book by oliver sacks dr sacks oh, yeah. musicophilia oh uh, the only one i have with dr sacks is the river of consciousness right here so oh uh, yeah yeah I have uh, that. folks who didn't plan that that happened naturally mm -hmm. and what else do we love about dr sacks do you know this Oh. Uh, state weightlifting champion in California. No way, really? Yeah, and one of his best friends when he was training was a young man by the name of Dave Draper, who is, became Mr. Universe, who is my publisher for my books. Whoa, man. Okay, so uh, let's hold on to that thought for a second, publishing. Yeah, I, I was in New York City a couple of years ago at Columbia University. I met with one of the icons. He's probably 87, 88 now uh, in the neurology world. Um, Dr. Stanley Fon and he and Oliver were best friends. And what's really yeah. interesting is they used to hang out all the time and talk about their patients. Um, and he was telling me about the the period of time where um, that book, uh, Awakenings, that Robin Williams yeah. plays the part of Sachs in the movie, The Awakenings, telling me how that all evolved. And uh, it's just so interesting, uh, all this stuff. I could talk about that for hours too. Um, but those guys, you know, there, there's something with music in the brain. Um, now there's, there are books on it. You know, Musicophilia is the one that Sachs wrote. Um, and I, I am at some point here soon going to put together some type of a musical thing for my uh, Parkinson's. I don't have a group class now, and I didn't before Corona. But afterwards, I was thinking of doing something a couple times a week and entering some percussion into it. I think it's genius. I mean, movement one of the first things to teach in track and field and weightlifting, uh, Olympic lifting, is the rhythm. <laughs> the rhythm. Yeah. The yeah. rhythm. No, no, the rhythm. Rhythm. <laughs> rhythm. 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 No, rhythm. <laughs> yeah. Rhythm. Exactly. And it's weird. After all these years, when I still when I tell some of the discus throw, people listening won't be able to see my finger, but I say, rhythm. And I'll whip my finger around in the exact rhythm that my entire body does. Uh, I have, I, of course, what, at the Olympic Training Center, I've been, they 3D, they take a 3D movie of you. 
you know, okay. three-dimensional. And it's, it's funny to watch it because uh, when I watched the videos, it was the first time you see it, it's just stick figures. But the moment the stick figure started to throw, I knew that was my stick figure. <laughs> oh, because yeah. of the rhythm. Because of the rhythm. Of the rhythm. Oh, that's and cool. Someone says, well, you just must really know how you throw. I go, look at what you, you all you saw was a bunch of sticks yeah. going like this on a, on a two-dimensional thing. Rhythm. And there is something about teaching rhythm. Uh, you know, you know, there's a the office episode where they're trying to teach uh, people how to do CPR, and they say staying alive. You know, ha ha. Uh, yeah, right. And you're doing the thing. Yes. And when I, when you reference that to somebody, that will stay in their head. Yes, it will. Under the pressure of someone dying in front of them. Mm -hmm. um, I was told years ago when I was doing this uh, uh, first aid class that you should always sing happy birthday uh, while you wash your hands because if you sing both verses, it comes out to the amount of time you need, statistically, I guess, to get all the crap off your hands. And so it's happy birthday to you. Right. And what's funny is there's going to be listeners listening today that are going to curse you and me about two days from now because inside their head they're going to be singing happy birthday as they wash their hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I actually, I heard that somewhere recently too. Um, wash your hands for 20 seconds. It's about the same amount of time as it takes to sing the full happy birthday. So, yeah, yes, it's nothing new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at notes here. I have, like, actually, can we, do you mind uh, speaking of this publishing thing? So I'm now I'm taking time for me here, but no problem. I can always cut it out if I need to. I've been dealing with a company that I don't think I want to deal with. And don't uh, stop. Don't do it. Yeah, we're, we're it's just red flags. Uh, do you have any advice on that? How do I find a publisher? Um, I I can't imagine anyone. And this is not because I don't believe in myself. I actually do believe at some point somebody will pick this up, and well, maybe they'll pay me money. I don't know. All the proceeds go to my non non profit foundation I started anyway. So none of it comes to me. However, I needed to get off the ground for the lowest cost possible and fulfill a few hundred orders up front, the pre orders, and then. Um, Print on demand, probably, you know. If in 2020, if you're not going to sell 10,000 copies, and no offense, you probably won't. Oh, no, I won't. That, that puts you in the 5% of authors of all time. By the way, the problem we have, if, can I just speak, oh, just for the biggest issue most people have when it comes to books, first, they think they're going to make a lot of money, which is insane. And then second, um, they think that they're going to sell a million copies. In truth, and I, this may not, the numbers might not still be correct, but if you sell 10,000 copies of a book, that puts you in the top 5% of authors of all time. Yeah. If you sell 20,000 copies, you're in the top 3%. Mm -hmm. uh, publishing is an absolute uh, hockey stick, you know, black swan event. Very, yeah. very few authors sell most of the books. And then there's this massively long tail of authors who wrote a book that sold, well, most of the time, no copies. So mm -hmm. get yourself out of that concept that you're J.K. Rowling, uh, you're the Bible, you're William Shakespeare. Don't don't think those numbers. Uh, Agatha Christie, I guess now. Is oh, number. sure, yeah, yeah. What you want to do um, is put together the best thing you can, and then if you can, uh, now the way I wrote my first book I thought was brilliant. Um, I would write an article and get paid for the article. 
and that became a chapter. I'd write wow. another article, get paid for the, the article, that would be the next chapter. Nice. And the reason we did that is we didn't think Never Let Go would sell. It became one of the biggest selling books in the history of our field and called by the San Francisco Examiner the best fitness book in history. Which, Whoa. Which well, bravo. I accept, on that, man. I humbly accept the kudos. Sure. But it was paid, it was not only, not only was it paid for when it came out, but if it would have only been a, a gift I would give you for coming by the workout, that was just fine. So what I would suggest you do at your best, try to come up with a paragraph by paragraph, uh, pardon me, chapter by chapter. Do you have a website? Yes. I yep. would put at least one or two or three. If you have 10 chapters, at least three on the website, get people reading it. And then I would do publish by demand on probably Amazon right now. And because uh, you want the information. I, I don't want to tell you how you run your business or your life, Carl, but for oh. me, well, I'm interrupting for one second. This is new to me. I've never done this. I've recorded CDs. In fact, my new CD just came out, and I love it. It's great. But uh, um, that's a different subject. But bottom line is, um, I don't know anything. Although a couple author friends of mine have recommended probably Amazon. You know, and <laughs> the book is just about done. I really just need to take a few more days and tweak out some things and then actually release it, relinquish control of my OCD. In oh. fact, audio, the audio book's being read by a friend of mine because I, you are a brave man, my, my friend. You did a fantastic job reading. I tried reading and I'm so bad behind the microphone. <laughs> I'm okay in front of an audience, but not behind the microphone. It was, you're all by yourself. Yep. No feedback, no human. It's not. It's. It's. I wouldn't say it's inhuman, but a, a, it's a human. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. There's a lack of humanity. Yeah. And then the hardest thing for you to do is realize that your book is the third or fourth that gets it right. I yeah. tell there's a number author I'm working with, and this person wants she, they they want a Harry Potter on a first book, which did happen with J.K. Rowling, but. And I'm just like, listen, you're, you're trying to write a how-to book. Uh, you're going to pour your heart and soul in this book, and, and, and great, but it's a, it's a first run. It's yeah. like when you're 13 years old, and you fall in love with Cindy, and you kiss Cindy for the first time, and you are convinced, you know, there'll never be love like, the world has never seen love like this before. And when she breaks your heart within a few days to go out with Bobby, um, you no one has ever felt the pain you have felt. Life is over, man. <laughs> and yet you look back when you're 63 and go, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't love. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> trust me. Uh, That's all right, man. I'm a big believer in getting the first thing. You, you, you got to get out. That's one thing I do like about performance, uh, sports, uh, uh, entertainment. And you know this from your, your musical background. Well, you're musicians. You guys show up late. But in sport, <laughs> in sports, the kickoff is at 7 o'clock. Mm -hmm. You know, at 6.55, the hay's in the barn. You, you can't, you know, you can't tweak anything else. I mean, obviously, there are things you can do on. Yeah. But the, one of the great lessons I've learned from performance is that I'm done. Yeah, and then I send it off to somebody else, and they say, you know, you spelt the 
there, there, there wrong. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, but you just, just, and you just tell the proofreader, just fix it, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, so by the way, just by the way, um, I, my wife brought this up. This is the, the book I was talking about. Um, oh, yeah, okay. Daniel Levitin. He's written another one, The Organized Mind. He also wrote, I don't know, I have three or four of his here. And, <coughs> you know, all this brainy stuff makes me crazy. I love it. Just, just, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, at the same time, it's all the stuff I sort of already have learned. But you know how when you read something and then you, you read it and the person delivers it a certain way that causes, it's the catalyst for tying everything together. And now I get it. Like right. I really get it, let's say. But I haven't gotten it with the music yet. I'm getting there. I'm trying to figure out this music thing and how I can use that uh, besides playing music that people like. You know, play music they don't like and work out. They're not going to want to show up. But use a metronome, whatever, just get them going. Rhythm is a thing. And we want rhythmical stuff usually in our movements. So, um, yeah. It's funny what you said about uh, you, you, can, you can hear it, you can hear it, you can hear it, you can hear it, and then all of a sudden it all clicks. Mike Boyle has a book where he talks about, I have this thing, if it's important, do it every day. So we squat every day. Well, he had heard me speak, he had read my books, we had sat to dinner, and then one day he went, Oh, you mean you squat every day? Yeah, I said that. Well, he his mindset was so he had kind of put himself in the brain set of squatting. You you grip and rip. You get the brain. You scream at the wall and you squat. And I was saying, no, you know, you know, every day you you know you do it. You do it. You know, you warm up with some easy squat. <laughs> oh, it, it's just funny how the brain how. Our experience sometimes will fight back new information. Oh, I already know that. No, 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 you don't. You know, we're using the same word, but this yeah. is what I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes it's a matter of a few words, maybe one sentence. It's and all of a sudden, it just, that was the last stitch I needed to bring all of it together. And I said, okay, I get that now. I understand this book, that book, that book. Now I can do something or right. more of something. Which is one of the reasons I like to read outside our field a lot. I like to read. Uh, I'm a, I like to read great books. I like to read uh, all kinds of all kinds of different fields. Uh -huh. uh, I like to read uh, murder mysteries a lot. And the reason I, I like to read outside the field is because sometimes I'll be reading something like an Oliver Sacks, and I'll go, oh, oh, you know, our discussion on rhythm. That's why I like to talk to musicians and people outside my field because they will share something out, like what you said about drumming, and then all of a sudden it makes sense why left-handed throws work. You know, we were just, we were just knitting. We were knitting a better yeah. athlete that way. Yeah. yeah. You know, going back where you were talking about the, the bicycle and turning this way, but you go the other way. Yeah. Um, there's a set of goggles, I don't know, somebody I know, I can't think of who it is right now, had some, something they put on to turn everything upside down. So your whole world was upside down. And they, did it, they did it all day. And they actually, they were fine by the end of the day. And then when they took them off, they were all messed up <laughs> for a while, you know, just like a, an hour or something. And they readjusted because, you know, the brain has all those connections and it, they fired back up again. But it goes to prove that, Yes, the brain is so complex, but it's so moldable. It's unbelievable. 
a couple of years back, I sold my soul to work with a corporation and I didn't, I didn't like it, but the one thing I got free gear and one of the things they had was special glasses that could shutter quicker and slower on the eyes. Well, later on, I discovered that it is actually better to not, okay, if I put a patch over your eye and throw a ball to you a lot of times, you quickly adapt from that. But if we put, you buy those fake glasses that are just clear glasses, Yeah. you put Vaseline on the eye. So you're still getting feedback. So this eye is clear and this eye has Vaseline on it. Yeah. You're still getting feedback. You can see the sky color. You can see, you can see this weird shape that's a person throwing. That threw you off more than putting a black patch over the eye. Sure. Because some feedback from this eye, some bad feedback mm-hmm. was far worse than no feedback. Right. I'm still not sure what to do with that information. Yeah. But one of those things that made me, it's one of those, one day I'm going to understand what I just said to Carl. I got to tell you, there's some, and I had a friend who said, that might be the best golf thing I've ever heard. And I went, golf? Yeah. What happens is most golfers take their head off the ball too soon. Ah. And he said, well, if you kind of ruin the feedback, they're going to strive harder and harder to watch the ball. Uh-huh. I said that I don't know if it's going to, by the way, gentle listener, if you want to steal the patent on that, go ahead. But um, to me, that's one of those moments where that, that to me is how the brain and the athlete work. Uh, everyone's an athlete. So, yeah. You know, it's funny. I never would have thought about that. Um, although I, I have had cornea transplants. So like this, this eye, believe it or not, is probably like the Vaseline eye. I see colors. I actually can't see you or me, but that doesn't matter. This eye, I have a plastic cornea. It's 2020, baby. It's like huh. a fixed focus lens for, from, any, for, from here to infinity. So it's a hereditary gen, uh, genetic thing that I have that my father and uh, everyone on his side has. But um, my kids don't have it. That's good. But um, this is interesting. I'm going to have to think about this more too, because I, I, I think I've just adjusted. It's just, I'm used to all this bad feedback here. Right. I know this though, if I shut this eye, it's, I never have as good quality depth perception as if I open it, even though it's really bad. Yeah. 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 So. That's interesting. And so one of the things when I, this sounds horrible, but that's why this is another reason I like, I think, I always tell people who have a, who have an issue that actually you're a gift to a coach like me because with you, what you just told us, if you have poor vision in your left eye, but because of that poor, but you still need it for your depth perception. So that, that gets us started on this process about, huh? So how can I improve that with an athlete? How can I improve that for people who have a condition? It's interesting. I, I, you would think with this condition, although I just never really think about it. Although I will, I will say there was an interesting experience I had in Washington DC a couple of years ago where somebody did, uh, I think I have to give credit where I think it's due or where I know it's that I think it came from Z health. We had a Z health practitioner there, really cool, uh, person. And so we were, your hand-eye coordination is something we try to work on as we're doing a focused movement, maybe Perry's infinity walk or something. Um, 
which came from somebody down the road from me here in Rochester, actually. Uh, I forget her name. But anyways, so let's try to layer stuff, you know. So I got hand-eye going on. We're doing a focused movement. Maybe you're saying, you know, you're doing math equations or whatever. But I am the worst person you want to play catch with because I'll drop the ball more than half the time because I don't see it coming the right way. So I'm in D.C., and they do this, you know, this thing, and they watch my eyes track. And then I had to cover one and do – this thing where I don't know if you can see my eyes going back and forth and I'm going on this chart. So, okay, do it with the other eye. So I can't see anything with this eye. So just move your eye. And I did it. You know, the carryover from that lasted at least a week. And when I got back, my number one, uh, when I say number one, first person with Parkinson's I work with, we play catch all the time. He said, what the hell's wrong with you? He says, "You, you always drop the ball. You're not dropping it today. So it was pretty cool. So I'm I'm curious about this vision thing and how we can enhance or change things, change feedback for people. So it forces, like you said, put Vaseline on the glasses here, and then maybe it won't take your head off the ball when you're swinging the golf club. What's weird about humans, Carl, is that it's when we mess with our eyesight seems to be the one that has the biggest hit. Yeah. Uh, I think we have because we have such good relationship with dogs, we've turned over scent to those guys. I don't know, I don't know who we turned over hearing to, but really seeing has become by far our most important sense. It's, it's in the sports I work with, especially. Yeah. But, uh, so I always think that if something helps uh, visual acuity at any, there's, there's a whole list of it. It's gotta be in around a dozen different things about, visual acuity but if anything helps any of that i mean if you can see the if you're in baseball and you can pick up some subtle thing the pitcher is doing your batting average jumps. Oh, that should go up yeah jumps up you know yeah. uh, if you're cheating like the was it the astros a couple seasons ago where they knew what the pitch was coming uh, their batting average has jumped an appreciable amount and so you know it's to improve athletic performance a tiny bit is is so difficult sometimes. Yes. But if you can but if you can get a jump like that just by an eye drill, well you got magic, folks. An you know, eye drill that makes you catch better, that's magic. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, um I didn't really finish by train of thought. I'm um I I do that sometimes. I just think everybody knows what I'm going to say, I guess. I haven't figured that out yet either. So basically what happened, though, with this thing, covering and looking at the chart, um, something happens in the brain. And then when they do this again with the pen, the eyes tracked in more, let's say, uh, equally. In other mm -hmm. words, if you, you bring the pen in, bring it in, and you'll see this, well, this one or that one track in further or faster. And so with almost every time I've done it, um, vision improves. Um, once in a while, it doesn't improve. Or a couple times, got worse. You know, I mean, it's always an exception. But it is cool stuff. It's really interesting. Um, now, I've, I've, I have another question I want to ask. And I don't want to take up too much of your time, too, because uh, you've been very, very generous. I decided the title of this is going to be A Conversation with Dan John. Oh, that's pretty clever, but okay. You know, Is that cool? <laughs> Make sure you send me the link as soon as you can. I'll post oh, it. Oh, I sure will. <laughs> I will, yeah. 
do you know a friend of mine uh, from Costa Rica? He actually is one of my instructors who's doing most of the teaching for me now. Well, he was up until when Corona came. Uh, Ruben Tarbia. I know he's seen you. He probably caught you at a workshop. Yeah, uh, I've been to Costa Rica for three times for workshops. Oh. I, if I had a picture of him, I'm sure I could. Yeah, yeah. Ruben is a. Uh, that's Ruben. That's a, a profile yeah. pic, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would like to say yes, I know him, yes. He's an amazing person. Oh, here we are, here we go. This is actually, this is the same workshop in DC I was telling you about uh, where we took this picture when it loads, I'll show you. But anyways, oh, here it is. He has a question for you. That is Ruben. Oh, I know Ruben. Yeah. Yes, very well. Yes, I know Ruben, yes. He's my best, yes. I sure will. He's uh, such a, a great guy. Great. He the same picture. He'd do like, something like this with his fingers. Or, yeah. Oh, he probably did, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, yeah. Um. Yes. His question for you is this, because when he found out I was going to talk to you, he's, he's like, dude, <laughs> you're the dude. Um, in your career, if you could do something more, what would it be? If you could do something less, what would it be? Well, on the more, uh, not many things, but I do wish I'd have had kept more respect for hill sprints and stadium steps, which, whatever you want, uh, depending on your location. Sure. Uh, but the hill sprints, every time I took them seriously, good things happen. Um, you can cut the volume of squats down. You can cut the volume of a lot of things down. I've never had an athlete get hurt doing hill sprints. Um, you don't have to do a ton of, some are amazing. So really it's that simple. It's honestly as simple as hill sprints. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. I feel like I really did a good job in the weight room with my athletes in my own career. Technically, I think we're solid, but it was, that would be the thing I would, I just would, I'd love to sit down with little Danny John back in 77, 78 and say, dude, would you know, start noticing those years you do the hill sprints, you throw really far with less injuries. The hills you don't, the years you don't, you get hurt all the time uh -huh. um, more. So less, uh, it, it's, it's an easy answer, uh, heavy squats. Uh, once I hit a certain area in squats, I never needed to go up. Um, I had read one time that Vasily Alexiev, the great Olymp uh, Soviet Olympic lifter, said something along the lines of, I think it was, you only needed to squat 10 kilos more than you can clean a jerk. That's about 22 pounds, about 20 pounds. So mm -hmm. I had just kept that as my standard for a long time. So at Utah State, I could clean 385. So I figured, you know, 405 is enough. And I was straight up, rock bottom, straight back up. That's easy. Jeez, I don't know why these guys make a big deal of it. Then I was convinced to do my issue was I wasn't squatting enough, not heavy enough. And it took me a couple of years to get my squat up. And then all of a sudden I started noticing that it, it didn't carry over to the throwing arts. Now other, if you're a powerlifter, obviously you have to do it, but sure. uh, I would say the heavy squats uh, really blew my stomach up. Uh, I, I, I just didn't, it didn't carry over very well. Mm -hmm. um, I wish, and if I'm going to add another one for him, uh, I had been told to take at least six weeks off a year just to, cool the jets and take it easy. I never did that. It's my greatest regret. 
Uh, I would finish, finish track season, become an Olympic lifter, finish Olympic lifting season, become a discus thrower, and I never took time off. When well, I finally did, I threw far again. So. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for that. Uh, Ruben, I know he's going to appreciate that too. He is a big fan, as I am as well. Um, um, so I'll mention one more thing, and then uh, we'll, we'll wrap in a minute. But uh, interestingly enough, when it comes to leg stuff, um, I like doing the hill sprints. There's a beautiful hill by my house. And I haven't been able to do it for a couple of years uh, because of the extreme pain in my right hip. Uh, four months ago, almost, I had a right hip replacement, and Ooh, for you, yeah. I am absolutely on fire now. And I'm not going to go running and jogging like I used to, but I don't mind doing a sprint. Yeah, I can run up a set of stairs, and and I love doing that. Um, but recently, so last Saturday, I got my bicycle back from the shop because I love to ride. Right, so I ride. I'll make excuses to ride places just because I want to keep the belly down and just feel good right so anyways I, i'm riding and i just got a back a new new spoke in the back and a new chain because the chain broke while i was riding some trails it's like a 30 year old bike you know 21 speeds only seven speeds worked that day i've only had seven speeds for a few years i get it back second day out from getting it back in the shop the rear derailleur breaks i'm stuck in this this gear i'm like Ah, oh, crap, man, because they're busy over there, and I, I, I don't want to wait like five days to get it back, and I'm terrible at doing this kind of thing myself. So I decided, screw it. I pulled the cable off, and I just, I ride anyways. So I'm in, I'm in this gear now that it's not, I'll just say this, it's not a hill climbing gear. Okay. But I'm doing hills on it, and I'm doing trails. Now, the trails where I go is not real steep, but I, I'm standing up, and I'm leaning in, and I'm telling you, my legs feel really good the past few days, and I am sure, well, it is getting easier, and I just think I'm getting stronger. I don't know, but I don't think I'm going to fix it. I don't need to. This is a challenge. <laughs> I, have a, I have what's called a cruiser bike. Mm -hmm. This has one speed, and uh, people ask me, you know, why do you just have one speed? Well, because when I go up hills, it's like a, a squat workout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because when I was a kid, uh, we, we didn't have money or anything. And I, I would buy like a $10 single speed bike for someone until I wore it out and crashed it or something. My wife was saying, this is like, we were, it's like when you were a kid, you have a single speed bike now. Yeah. I said, yeah, I made it all over the place back then and I'm doing it now. And so this is actually my new thing. This just the past few days riding with one speed and it's really cool. I love it. And, you're, and you tilt your bike back and forth like this. Exactly. Like, like my old Stingray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So you had the banana seat with the chopper bar? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the sissy with the thing in the back. Those were the bar. Yeah, sissy bar and the, yeah, the banana seat. Yeah. If you didn't have one of those, you didn't have a real childhood in our, in our era, right? Jeez. Well, listen, man, uh, I want to just, your, your website's it's danjohn.com. Net. Or so there's, two. there's two. There's danjohn.net, which is the library. There's there's literally thousands and thousands of pages of information. All okay. for yourself, okay? All right. And then there's danjohnuniversity.com, and that has the workout generator. It's got a whole oh, bunch yeah. of right. And folks, for the next three months, type in Corona 
and you'll get a, a massive discount. Uh, basically, we're just, it's basically at cost. You're, you're getting at cost. So I think it's $29 for three months if you use Corona. And that's just me, a way to help out during these times. Sure. That's, well, that's very generous too. That's really nice, man. So I'll put links to those on the screen. Um, hey, man, it's really nice to meet you after all these Thanks years so of following you. And Thanks. let's do this again. Oh, sure. I, I, I love Utah, man. When I was there a couple of years ago, I had like a 10-day thing. I was Colorado Springs and all over Denver and Glenwood Springs. Uh, I don't know. Can you, can you see out the window there? Oh, yeah. Oh, what a beautiful day. Look at those so trees. That tree, can you see the mountains behind yeah. it? Oh, I see that. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, so oh, I, I love that. I love that. That's so nice. Yeah, I, I went to Arches National Park and Zion yeah. and Bryce, and then I went up north to Salt Lake. Sure. Amazing. What a beautiful yeah. state. Yeah, so that's the start of the Rockies right there. And uh, they're only about five or six discus throws from here, so it's kind of nice. Yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> cool. All right, man. Well, Dan, thanks again. Um, and I was going to have you hang on afterwards, but I, I think I'm set because I was going to ask you about publishing, but we already talked about it. And let's get that going, okay? Let's get, let's get that taken. Yeah, you got it. We're pretty much done, so I've just got to get it out there. Um, great. Thank you. And I'll send you a link as soon as it's up. Appreciate that, okay? We'll Thanks, talk soon, brother. okay? You got it, brother. Take care now. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.